for trainers, collectives, and individuals that were looking for a program to follow that was chud-free or perhaps one that came directly from us, there is Liberation Martial Arts Online. Thanks to John Silva, Candace Williams, and Enzo for signing up. If you would like to sign up for Liberation Martial Arts Online or you want to increase your financial support for the Southpaw Project, you can find special tiers on our Patreon. If you'd like to listen to all of our shows without any breaks or interruptions, you can find uncut versions of our shows also on Patreon. This is Sam. This is Jason. And this is Fight Study. This episode was sponsored by SH, M. Shelton, Berkshire People's Gym, and New Guy. We just had UFC 281, and I'm just as excited to talk to Coach Jason about this as all of you are. To quickly recap some of the fights and fighters that stood out, Montel Jackson showed us his potential in his fight against Julio Arce. Really shows the depth of the bantamweight division because Jackson isn't even ranked. Michael Trezano and Sung Woo Choi showed that the only blocking in the UFC that's allowed is blockchain. <laughs> it's a fucking truth, man. It's truth. Yeah, there's no defense, man. There's no defense <laughs> in this game. It was nice to see Carolina Kovalkiewicz continue her comeback run. Like Andre Arlovsky, she's finding ways to win using experience and veteran craftiness. She's also 37, so she doesn't have the same tools as before. So it's nice to see her making the appropriate age-based adjustments. Matt Ravola, also unranked, but he's just one of those guys who's a tough out for anyone. He showed that by knocking out undefeated Otman Izatar. Izatar has this tendency to square up his feet as he attacks and escapes. And I was wondering if Revola would catch him, but a testament to the power of Revola, he was up against the cage without any real room to swing. And with an arm punch, he still put Izatar's lights out. That's scary power, but also poor defense from Izatar. Andre Petrovsky, the way he makes opponents look, he must be ox strong. When people tie up with them, you can tell there's just a difference in strength. He really handled a tough Wellington tournament. Hanato Moicano, from start to finish, reminded us why he was such a prospect in the past by dominating and finishing Brad Riddell. There used to be championship talks about this guy, and he showed us why. And Brad Riddell is actually a lot better than he showed in that fight also. So I saw on Instagram that he's going to take some time off from fighting because he recognizes that he's lost something. Dan Hooker on a skid is still too much for someone like Claudio Poyas, who has limited wrestling and striking and also doesn't have confidence in his striking. Hooker might be one of the worst of the elites, but he's still elite. Frankie Edgar reminded us that he should have retired several fights ago, maybe after Pedro Munoz. The miles on that guy, I fear for his future. It ended up another quick and scary KO. We also had Ryan Spann starching Dominic Reyes in quick and dramatic fashion. Reyes is only 32, but this is his fourth loss in a row, and his last three have been nasty KOs. 
But here's what scares me. In this fight, he came out smiling and almost like trying to convince himself he still has it. Then in the fight, he kept closing his eyes every time he was punching and every time he was getting punched. He was scared to get hit. Then I heard from someone who was at the same gym as Reyes, and he told me Reyes was getting dropped even during light sparring. His chin is totally gone, and Reyes knows it too. So like I said, he's only 32, and unlike Kovalkiewicz, he couldn't make adjustments to stay competitive, at least in this fight. He got worse, and I think that's because he knows he can't take the damage. Kovalkiewicz still can take a monster shot. Maybe Reyes was planning to clinch and take down, but we didn't even get that far. Jason, what did you think about Reyes and his performance? He's a shot fighter, and I hate to say it because you know, he's, he's an outstanding athlete and he came to the sport, I don't want to say late, but he came from football first, right? He tried to pursue that first. And even though you're not taking the same kind of um, damage that you would in a fight game, it's still a, a, a ton of concussive trauma in high-level football, even low-level football, even you know, from, uh, from peewees to high school. Like, you get, you're taking headshots. So I don't know what his sparring has been like. I don't know what his training has been like. I, know I saw him in there with the likes of Sean Strickland getting rounds. So, you know, I wish he had a greater body of work, especially after what was an outstanding performance against John Jones. Where many people think he got robbed. But at this point, he's a shot fighter. And it's scary to see some, the way some of these guys get their lights put out. You, you referred to, to the Frankie Edgar fight. I'd like to give him a hug and say thank you and videotape it because there's no chance he's going to fucking remember it in five years. Yeah. You know, he's given a lot to this sport all the way back from those absolute beatings in victory um, against, uh, what, Gray Maynard. That was a long time ago. And you know, dropping down a weight class and walk, dropping down another weight class. I mean, these guys, I figure I'll take enough shots at the UFC later on in the episode, but I'll take a few at them now. They might want to start protecting some of their fucking guys. I guess to your point, right, Reyes in this KO looked like Frankie Edgar in his KO, except Reyes is much younger and also has much less body of work. So that's the sad thing about it and why I wanted to bring it up is because this is happening to Reyes really early in his career, especially at light heavyweight, because fighters, you know, the heavier they go, they last a lot longer. And, and I'm not calling the end of Reyes's career, but he is going out like Chuck Liddell was towards the end or like Frankie Hicker is now. Yeah. And, and I'll, I'll say it again. Football is a violent, violent sport with lots of head trauma. So, I mean, I don't know um, how much playing time he got in, in college, but I mean, those shots add up too. And if he's not training intelligently, um, he's, he's a big guy, probably going with other big guys. And sometimes the 205ers will train with the heavyweights and, you know, those assholes hit fucking hard. And if you you know, if it's that, that macho bravado bullshit where um, everything is a, a test your metal moment, well, shit, that, that, that adds up. So, you know, I worry about some of these guys and I worry about their health. And now I wonder if he had that falling out with his brother because his brother was his trainer for a while. Maybe that was his brother just spitballing here, but was his brother worried about his health? And maybe that was the falling out. You know, maybe Reyes, the younger brother, wanted to continue and the older brother's like, no, or if you are going to continue, we have to train differently, right? Because Reyes kept saying in his interviews, he needed to go back to his old animal ways of fighting, his more aggressive style 
and stuff like that. And so now I wonder. Yeah, but aggress- aggression and athleticism might be able to get you to a very high level, but you need, you, need, you need technique, you need accuracy, you need technical proficiency also to go along with that. And so again, he's a, a very high level athlete, big guy, moves well for a big guy, but fuck, man, like uh, getting to the sport late. You know what you just reminded me also is the importance of confidence because Reyes actually does have good technique and he is very crafty. But you see how when you don't have confidence, even technique suffers. Absolutely. And I don't know how like his reflexes are at this point or if there's a culmination or accumulation of concussive trauma that affects that reaction. I don't, I don't know. I just know he looks like a shot fighter. He, he flinches and tenses up as opposed to rolling. And that's born of confidence and composure as well. We talk about that all the time. You know, a great point is you watch the, the thumps and lumps that uh, Poye took against Chandler. He's rolling with them because his eyes are on the prize. He's confident in his ability to both be offensive and defensive and maintain that composure when, when a very aggressive, very explosive puncher is coming after his head, trying to fucking separate his head from his shoulders. So you know, being, being confident and having that, that composure and that poise in the pocket, that pocket presence, all very important. If you throw that away in favor of a flinch response or overly tense, well, then that energy doesn't get dispersed anywhere except into your fucking gray matter and you go to sleep. Now, just as Reyes had a dramatic fall from grace, Erin Blanchfield really showed she's not only a prospect, but already a contender. She was scary. I don't know if I've ever seen ground domination like that in women's MMA because it's not only takedowns, they can't get up once taken down. And also, she's a submission threat. She also knows how to pass to dominant positions. Like, when was the last time we saw a crucifix from top like that? It had to have been Matt Hughes era, right? No, she's so heavy on top. I mean, yeah, she just controls that position. She does it in a a second, and she cinches it up immediately after the pass. She dominated Miranda Maverick, and we've seen what Miranda Maverick can do even after that loss. Then J.J. Aldrich, and now Molly McCann. Here's what else is scary. Blanchfield is only 23. I know we spoke about Blanchfield before being a problem, but Jason, what did you think about her performance this time? I mean, there's really not much to say other than how easily she made it look, right? I mean, she absolutely smothered and controlled McCann on the ground. And she looks like, I don't know, she looks like her body has greater gravitational pull when she's on top. I don't know how to say it. Like She just disperses her weight to where she must feel like a fucking dump truck in that position. But at the same time, she keeps that heavy pressure while her hips are light and she just moves and flows from that top position. So I think she's another one that's probably also deceivingly strong, knows how to really really make her opponent carry her weight. And I like her entry into her takedowns and how easily, like like a power double is usually like, a high energy spend. She gets so deep and under the hips that she just she just like lifts and steps a little bit to the outside and she just falls into side control or half guard and immediately passes. It's really brilliant, like the little things that she does. So as a fight study exclusive, Coach Zach Goldrosen gave us a scouting report on Blanchfield's wrestling. He pointed out, first of all, her patience, which is rare for rookies. He also said, you don't need more than one takedown if you can get 
your takedown entry underneath their first line of defense, their hands. So he was basically pointing out she only needed one takedown because she waited for McCann to punch, then got underneath it. So a lot of the chain takedowns, spamming takedowns are unnecessary if you could get that good first entry and read it. And most importantly, get past their first or second line of defense. He then said, pinning is so powerful to tire your opponents out, but underutilized. So he said, Blanchfield, show how effective wrestling pins can be for MMA because McCann completely gassed out trying to get out from underneath that cross-side pin. That's what a good pin does. You know how Zach is stingy with praise, but he said Blanchfield's ceiling is the title. I don't disagree. I mean, given her age, right? And how, like, how, how strong she is, where wrestling tends to be a little bit of a weakness in that division. So, and then the, the fighters that can wrestle well in that division tend to prosper. So I think that's going to be a definite advantage for her. Um, her striking, I don't want to say it's good because it's, it, it's, but it's not like mistake prone. At the same time, she uses, she throws nice tight strikes inside. She doesn't overcommit and throw herself out of position. Um, and she'll sting you with like that, I don't know, that, that sneaky, snappy little power. And whenever you try to come back big with like a big 3-2 counter, which seems to land for everybody in, the, in that division, she gets right underneath it and just says, thank you. Like, thank you for engaging in a piss poor counter attempt and I'm going to put you on your back. And then she keeps you there until she decides to rip your fucking arm off. Now let's talk about the main card. Let's talk about the trilogy fight between champion Israel Adesanya versus Alex Pereira. Pereira has now won all three fights against Adesanya and the last two by devastating KO. We've broken down Adesanya so many times and we've always wondered what you'd have to do to beat him. And we saw it. But also leading up to this, Adesanya was the favorite. So everyone was talking about Adesanya's technique. And even during the fight, the emphasis was on how technical Adesanya was, especially his feints. Now, one of the questions we've had about Adesanya is what happens when he fights someone as tall as him with the same reach? Well, we got the answer. Tall fighters have problems when they fight other tall fighters. We saw that with Anderson Silva versus Chris Weidman. We saw that when John Jones fought anyone near his size. We saw that now with both Adesanya and Pereira. They both had problems when their opponent was of equal height and reach. But I want to start our discussion with Pereira because we already know a lot about Adesanya, but we didn't know as much about Pereira. During the fight, a friend of the show, Carl Richardson, who's coincidentally the one who brought us together on Twitter, DM'd me saying, Pereira is just missing that left hook. And he was saying that during round one. And he also said, it looks like Izzy is susceptible to it because of his lateral movement. And boy, was Carl right. So Jason, tell me about Pereira's performance, how he was trying to set up Arasanya, and what setups and traps, if any, he was implementing. Uh, Pereira invested in some quality low kicks early and, and throughout the fight. And everything seemed to have a, a fucking thud to it, right? It just sounded different. It landed different. And when they would both exchange kicks, there was a, an audible difference between, between more, the way uh, Pereira's landed and then Izzy's. So, you know, having that fuck you kind of power that he does, he was able to walk Izzy down 
And to Izzy's credit, he had some success even when being backed up. But I saw a fighter in Pereira that seemed to understand it. Even in, even in the exchanges that he was losing, um, he was hurting Izzy. So, you know, a good example was when Pereira got clipped at the end of the, ra- end of the first round. Even though he was obviously rocked, I think some of those body shots that should happen just prior from Pereira, uh, both the punches uh, and knees, took a toll on Izzy as the fight progressed. And obviously the leg kicks did as well, you know, given uh, and even to Adesanya's own admission. So I think it was an investment and a belief in his power and understanding that he could take a shot and he would be able to find that shot. Now, was this a come from behind victory or was this a case of Adesanya winning the battles and Pereira winning the war? Because a lot of people are comparing this to Leon Edwards' victory, but it felt a lot more competitive than that. Well, I think regardless of how you scored the first four rounds, you would have rather have been, you would rather have been uh, Pereira than Izzy. Like if you could measure pain, right? I think the, the shots that he got hit with, and yes, he, he did spend that whole third round on the ground and it was controlled by, uh, by Izzy. But if you would rather, especially in terms of just feeling and wearing that damage, right? Whether it looked bad it definitely felt bad, I think. And it started to, to, to sort of uh, an accumulation. So it's, he was definitely, Izzy fought well. He really did. And for the first time, I think, like an over, uh, like overemphasis on, normally the commentators are terrible, but they were pretty, they were pretty spot on about the things that, that Izzy was doing well. And also the things that he was susceptible to, like they were scoring some of those body shots for Pereira, because I think if you were sitting, if you were sitting cage side, like you could hear an audible thud, right? So you, you see those things in, especially DC who knows how those body shots start to wear on you when, when Stipe started touching him to the liver. Um, when you know it, you know it. And whenever you see it after you've been handed it before, you know it. So. You know, I think, um, I mean, I got to give Izzy credit. I had him up, but um, at the same time, I don't feel that, that Pereira was ever out of it. And I do think that, that a, a, some comparison to the Leon Edwards fight is just in that both fighters, Pereira and, and Leon, fought with composure. In that, in that final round, even though they were losing. And how many times have we seen wild, re- reckless, overly aggressive um, uh, attempts by fighters who were down on the judges' scorecards to just throw random aggression at a fighter who either like just easily ducks and doubles and puts them on the back and, and then we bitches, fans, or uh, talking heads in the fight space about, oh, they gotta. it's not really going out on your shield if you're going out on your back. So you can be smart and you can be effective with your aggression. You don't have to be random and wild. And that's the beauty of fight sports is you're in it if you're still in it. So, you know, give yourself a chance to find that shot because a knockout or a submission erases those scorecards. And it's that, that odd dichotomy where this, you have to have a goldfish brain and like not panic 
because all you have to do is win a moment of this last round to win the fight. But in order to win that last round, you have to process your successes and failures from the rounds before so that you can find it. And it takes a person um, with a different kind of uh, fortitude and, and mental and emotional composure to engage that kill switch when it's fucking time with short time on the clock or in that final round. How did Adesanya look to you on the back foot against the rangy fighter? I mean, Izzy showed us in this fight, he is an excellent fighter and he definitely had success at times giving ground. And he, he scored with a beautiful jab. He'd hit that jab and hit a nice little drop step and he'd land a straight right. You know, even a nice straight left as he gave ground um, and Pereira pursued and he hit that little, that little back shift. But even after some success, I think around the three-minute mark of the second round, after he touched Pereira a couple times, two stiff jabs from Pereira hurt Izzy. Like He was visibly hurt. Um, and the, the commentators mentioned it, but they didn't stick, stick with it. Um, and still, Izzy, Izzy looked great with his 1-1-2 one, one, and his little faint and give-and-go 1-2 or faint off that jab that he was going with, faint that jab and throw a nice low kick. But that is when he was moving forward and was the aggressor, which is also where you can find yourself in fucking trouble against Pereira. So huh, Pereira's just sort of like built for combat. And unless, uh, unless Izzy develops like a nice double leg, it doesn't even need a nice double leg. If he, a very, very mediocre double leg, then he's going to have, have some trouble with Pereira. But, I think uh, uh, a third grade or junior high body lock will probably put Pereira on his back pretty easily if, if Izzy decides to invest in some wrestling. I think you don't need wrestling to become the champion, but to defend the belt and stay champion, you need wrestling. I mean, Izzy defended it this long, but people were like, well, you know, a good wrestler could beat both of those people. And it's like, okay, look at that division. Who are we talking about here, right? You talk about Chris Weidman, who's left? <laughs> Derek Brunson, who's like close to retirement. Like that division doesn't have a lot of wrestlers, right? So then it's almost like you as the champion has to develop that wrestling. So you always have that in the back pocket because if there aren't that many wrestlers, then you're going to have all these people coming up who are looking to knock your head off, right? So the path to becoming champion is different from the path to staying champion. And I think to stay champion, you have to limit the damage you take. You have to limit the striking exchanges. Even if you're the superior fighter, you have to eventually start taking them down. Yeah, you need you need to be well-rounded or else like Aljamain Sterling is going to bump up to 185 pounds and fucking take, take <laughs> Pereira's fucking back and stay there for the next three months. You know, fucking starve him to death just by not letting him move. So, uh, I mean, you, you, you got to get better um, at, at comprehensive mixed martial arts if you want to stay champion. And like you said, getting to be champion normally requires those things too. I mean, there's some guys that, I mean, let's be honest, like Aljo probably has a, a decent chance of, of taking Pereira's back, but what are, what are his chances of taking like a, a Derek Brunson's back? You know, and Brunson's, Brunson's never beating Izzy, and Izzy might never beat Pereira. So styles make fights, size differences, all those things fucking considered. Um, I just I thought I'd give out you a little bit of love since I've shit on him before. Now, they both seem to have a hard time reading each other's shots. 
What were they doing to make it so hard for either one of them to see the jabs coming or see some of the kicks coming or see some of the rights coming? I think it's a matter of what they both did well. Uh, Pereira's power kept Izzy reacting. And at times, Izzy was, I don't know, maybe overfainting in sort of a hyper-awareness um, of those shots that, he, that, that were hurting him. Um, and Izzy's speed, technique, and accuracy pieced up for Pereira multiple times, especially when um, when Pereira got a little bit too square on, on his entry. Let's pause for a second here, because there's something you said that I think we need to expand on. So we know Izzy uses feints to get his opponent flinching, overreacting. But what you just said was Pereira does the same thing, not with feints, but with power. Because if you hit him hard once and they feel how hard you hit, they will just flinch without you even having to faint. Absolutely. That's absolutely it. You're just sort of frozen with like a hyper-awareness or like too much respect. Or anticipating. Absolutely. Because it, when it sucks, it sucks, you know? Um, so with the guys that can crack, that's a definite advantage. But if you watch and you watch closely, you also see that even though Izzy is the quicker fighter, Pereira is still really fucking quick. And his technique and his reflexes are good. Um, and they may not be as good as Izzy, but he's just a bigger, stronger human being. So that's the great equalizer. A note to our loyal listeners. If you love the Southpaw Project, please support us and help us get paid for our labor by financially supporting us on Patreon. This will give you access to exclusive bonus content like early releases of Southpaw Deep Space Nine, break-free versions of our shows without interruptions, like you're hearing now, Liberation Martial Arts Online, as well as our private chat group on Discord. You can also make one-time donations at Ko-Fi, or show your Southpaw solidarity by wearing our swag. You can find all pertinent links at southpawpod.com. And something I wrote in my preview is Pereira's stance, which is almost the same as something you pointed out about Aljamain Sterling's stance, where it's long, but then he squares up. His hips face you, and his shoulders are square, even though he has like kind of long stance, almost like a track athlete stance. And that's the same way Pereira stands. But where Aljo uses that for mixing up wrestling with striking, Pereira uses it where you can't tell if he's going to punch from his left or his right. You can't tell if he's going to kick from his left or his right because both sides are facing you, right? Usually how you can tell somebody's going to hit you is because you see movement from their lead shoulder or their lead hip or especially their rear hip, rear shoulder, right? But when he aligns both of his shoulders and hips to be square, now you're like, I have no idea. Is the jab coming? is the two coming, right? And the thing about Pereira is he can do this because when you already square up and then you throw the two, there isn't that much power because you don't have the same swing, except because he has so much goddamn natural power. He doesn't even need that full rotation. He just shoots it up from that square hip and it still packs a wallop, right? So I think that's the other thing about what makes Pereira so hard to read because of his stance. Even his hands just are up occupying the lane so they're already in your face. So then from there to shoot out to a jab or to a two, it's hard to see. So everything is designed for offense. 
from that stance, it's hard to be super defensive, except he does have his hands occupying lanes. So automatically he has something at least there, right? Which is a veteran thing to do. But as far as seeing what he's going to do, I think that's really hard where he doesn't even need feints because you can't tell because he's like, you know, when you're like, guess which hand I have the stone in, but then you stick out both hands at the same time and you don't remember where it was, right? It's kind of like that. It's like, which hand am I going to punch with? Let me square my shoulders. Oh shit. Now I don't know where it's going to come from. Right. There's truth to that, right? And there, there's some strategy involved. One thing that, uh, so even though Pereira was susceptible to that one, one, two and that jab faint or that jab half jab two, that Izzy was having some success with, if you can start to time that too and not get cracked too badly with it, you've already sort of preloaded or front-loaded that left hook because your right shoulder is forward and your chest is square. And like you said, it doesn't take much rotation because of the natural power that Pereira has. So even though even though it was sort of like, and Izzy was scoring with that one one two, and you brought up like, Pereira would walk in with his shoulder squared and that left hook was preloaded, Izzy was scoring with that one one two, but with that two out there, that hand's not no longer uh, in a defensive position. And there's sometimes that Pereira would just walk through it and look to, to make up some distance and start fucking thumping on the inside or thumping on the way, on his way forward while Izzy gave some ground. Because Izzy relies on a lot of upper body defense where he's moving his upper body. And I talked about this in my breakdown also. Pereira smartly started throwing jabs to the chest or throwing hooks to the body so that I'm probably going to miss the head, but I'm going to still hit you because you can't move the rest of your body. And so that really started to work out well for Pereira because even though like getting punched to the chest doesn't hurt a lot, it's still like, oh, I'm getting hit. I need to react. I need to adjust something. Maybe you don't need to adjust something. Just eat those punches. It's not even Adesanya. Just how fighters are, it's instant reactions. I start getting hit. I got to adjust so I don't get hit anymore. And so some of those adjustments made him even more open to that two, to the face. And also, I think because of the way he was moving, he was getting hit with that body shot. And so then he started worrying more about the body shot. And sometimes he forgot about the head. Well, absolutely. And there's a jolt when you get hit in the chest against a, a thumper, someone who can really bang and tag someone like Pereira who's got like fucking lunch boxes for fucking hands. Um, and you, you'll see whenever he starts hitting Izzy to the, to the chest that one, Izzy's accuracy is diminished a bit because it throws off the trajectory because the center of your body just is now misaligned. And then when it does sort of shock his system and he tries to move laterally. And normally uh, Izzy is smooth, like, like a ballerina with his footwork. And he just looks a little bit awkward at times, like he was, like there was a jolt to his system. Do you think getting punched to the chest also disrupts your breathing, whether it makes you skip a breath or like it compresses the lungs and it kind of has the same effect like getting punched in the stomach, but not as bad? Yeah, I think that's a good call because I've I've used the, a five hundred dollar rival body shield when I was training at, at Longo and Weidman, and I was holding for Frivola, and we'd do a split punch where I would throw at him, and he would simultaneously counter with the right hand. He would put it right in my chest, and there were times I would forget, like to come back with the left hook so he could put the left hook upstairs, just because like my system was just taking a second, <laughs> and I and I, I had I had a whole fucking body shield like a legitimate $400 plus body shield. 
Um, and uh, it, Travola hits hard, but I don't think he hits as hard as Alex Pereira. So <laughs> I guess that confirms what I was saying earlier, because you've trained with them. Travola has different kind of power at that division. Yeah, Frivola can crack. Yeah, especially with his with his punches, he can thump. So, you know, imagine that without a body shield and a person who walks into the cage at close to 220. Something else I noticed was I've never seen someone check Adesanya's kicks as much as Pereira did. Whitaker had success punching Adesanya when he kicked, but Pereira really nullified it and got close by checking it. So how much did not having the leg kicks to score and escape or make his opponent stop in their place or back up hurt Adesanya's game? I mean, I think it played a significant role. I mean, Pereira beat up Izzy's legs early with checks and counter kicks. I think it was at like three minutes and 45 or three minutes and 40, three minutes and 47 seconds of the first round. He landed two nice leg kicks, low leg kicks when, when Izzy stepped and planted, you know, but throughout the round, we saw excellent vision. And I, I, uh, Reference the, the vision and reflexes of Pereira earlier. Even though Izzy was the quicker fighter, it was still strange though because Izzy still had success in the other aspects of MMA, right? Um, but those, whether or not the the kicks being taken out of the equation was what um, sort of um, initiated the the thinking of of Izzy to go for some wrestling or a relative wrestling weakness was the reason you know Izzy still had success in those other aspects wrestling ground control but it was I mean it was honestly sort of bizarre to see Izzy as the world champion seemingly unsure how to correctly throw hooks in on Pereira when he had his back in the third like it was like for fuck's sake man I said earlier like Aljo would be world champion at middleweight if he were in that <laughs> position at this very moment and that's not to take anything away because the 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 striking from both was was just superb and it was it, and even the the cage control stuff where they were like peeling hands on the inside hitting little elbows and shifting off and from a pummel position hitting hitting knees it was really really great uh but you know i think because as uncomfortable of a neophyte as izzy looked on the ground but looked even worse yeah yeah I, I could take another half hour and shit on the ground games of both, but I think it's more appropriate to discuss how having a dominant skill set, especially at 185 pounds, with a talent pool that is a little more shallow, can can earn you a world title. And if you are savvy enough, like Izzy is, you can you can maintain that world title. Or if you have lunch boxes for fists and just are built for fighting, um, you can you can beat Izzy with. You know, even if you are not quite as as technical, as quick, but if you're bigger, stronger, and you know you pose that kind of threat, you are the, the new middleweight champion of the world. Now, according to Adesanya, the accumulation of leg kicks and checks fucked up his leg. Did you always think leg kicks would be a strategy to beat the middleweight king? And how do leg kicks pay dividends in a fight? I mean, I wasn't sure if if anyone had the goods to pull that off without getting one toot or getting eaten a two every time they try to throw a, a kick or catching a counter kick against Adesanya. He's just his technique is is that good. But foot drop and an angry nerve will haunt you sometimes when you least expect it. So, like when you when you take those shots to the leg or to the calf, um, and the nerves decide to go fucking haywire, there's not a whole lot you can do about it. And I think. 
again, it's, I, I use the word thump and thud. Those are, that's how it sounded in the very first round. And I was really impressed with how Adesanya, who's, who's pretty slight, and he looks, he's got slender legs for sure, um, though I'm sure they're stronger than they appear, and they've, they're probably uh, calloused right down to the bone because of years and years of kickboxing. But he seemed to, to wear it very well. His movement didn't seem compromised, but it did look a little bit labored in, in going into the fifth round. Um, and I think some of those shots started to take toll. And like I said, there's not a whole lot you can do when your nerves decide to say, hey, man, like, fuck you. We're done here. <laughs> we're taking it. We're taking a break. Oh, you know, it, 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 I mean, what, what can you do? But yeah, I think it definitely, it definitely had an effect for sure. At the beginning of the fight, whenever Pereira got close, a strategy Adesanya used to stifle his striking was to grab his hands. And then as the fight progressed, Yes, he had grappling success, but other times when they were standing up, the hand fighting that seemed to work really well in the opening two minutes of the fight, they stopped working. Or at least that's what it seemed like to me. I think it's easier to hand fight the lead hand. And I'm, I'm not sure, but I think maybe he was cautious in trying to take away Pereira's uh, left hook. Like that's what, I, that's what I thought. And Pereira coming in with his shoulder square looked like he was trying to preload that hook. You know, and his hand checking in his one one two and his diversity of attack gave Pereira some problems at times. And again, like I think I said this multiple times, is his quickness, his technical acumen, his, he's a very accurate striker. He's excellent in those categories. There are a lot to contend with. And the more so the problem is the more you use those strategies to to try to throw off Pereira, the more data he has. And we always reference his physical gifts. But he's also a, like a really good fighter and a smart fighter as well, you know. And I think we saw. Um, you mentioned before how some fighters don't do well when they have someone that is bigger than them when they u- are used to a size advantage. Now, Pereira adapted better to the speed advantage of Izzy, to the quickness and ref- uh, reflexive advantage. Um, and probably the technical inaccuracy advantages that he has as well. But I don't think Izzy adapted as well to the size and power advantage because it's hard to. Because I had, you know, he used his quickness, but then he ate some shots and his, his rods and cones were a little fucked up and he wasn't moving, moving well. And then he, he, he threw some kicks that got checked and he got some of his own kicks checked and he ate, um, and he ate some kicks. That sort of messed with his lateral movement, which he he tried to use regularly. And you know, Pereira was really, really disciplined in cutting off the cage. He didn't overcommit, and when he did overcommit and got touched for it, um, because um, Izzy did a great job of timing some of his shots while, while giving some ground and then coming back and then freezing with feints. Pereira made adjustments. He made he made adjustments in real time, and sometimes. Even the the exchanges where points wise Pereira lost, like he would sting him with two jabs afterwards, and I think um, I think Izzy was a little worse for the wear, even if not for the judges' scorecards. One adjustment he made to that hand fighting and why Adesanya stopped doing it was because when he would grab his hands, especially to your point, I think he was worried about that left hook. Eventually, Pereira started rolling his wrist, his right wrist, 
he would roll it and use that to come over Izzy's own hand, which was now dropping because he's holding onto the wrist. He brings it down and rolls. So Izzy's hand is dropping down and then he would come over the top with an overhand or a right hook. So then eventually Pereira is like, yeah, grab my hand because I'm going to hit you over the top now. I think that caught Adesanya a couple of times and I think that's why he moved away from it. So to your point, Pereira was making all these little adjustments where even when he was losing the exchange or maybe not losing the exchange, maybe losing the round by points, he was finding ways to keep touching up Adesanya. And I think he was getting closer and closer with some of those big shots. Now, round three is where, as far as narrative, it looked like Adesanya took over because he got the takedown and kept it and beat Pereira up. And Pereira looked tired after that. But was that because of how good Adesanya's wrestling is? Well, I already know what you said. Or was it more to do with Pereira making sort of like Glover Teixeira's grappling mistakes, like going for a trip takedown he was never going to get and a knee bar he was never going to get and Teixeira being his coach and training partner, by the way, right? Like maybe some of those like, just go for it, brother, <laughs> kind of mentality rubbed off. So I think that's probably it, right? Because like when... There was some slop wrestling going on where like both of them almost got a takedown like by doing just bizarre wrong shit like you shouldn't be doing at the world championship level. So it if you get a takedown and you can maintain any kind of top position after you just had a very successful round round two, if you can get that if you can score with slop on anyone wrestling wise, it would probably be Izzy. But like Izzy's defensive wrestling has always been pretty solid, so. Is it Izzy? Like maybe he just felt like it because I don't know the grappling exchanges didn't seem as I don't know polished um, or like technically skilled. So there was some awkwardness. Maybe he just felt like he was physically stronger. But when you're physically stronger than a person that has slightly better wrestling technique than you, then all you're doing is putting yourself in bad position, and nothing is easier to exploit than below average wrestling. Nothing in mixed martial arts is easier to exploit than below average wrestling. You're better not better off not wrestling at all. And this fight actually didn't prove how good Adesanya's takedowns are because I think a lot of people don't remember that the takedown that he got, Adesanya, where he won that round, was initiated by Pereira, right? So when Pereira stopped going for takedowns, Adesanya didn't get another takedown. They didn't hit the mat again. So the one time that Adesanya got him down and kept him down was when Pereira initiated it. But when Pereira stopped initiating it, then they didn't go to the ground again. So it seems like at least at this point where their skills are, if Pereira doesn't try to take him down, then they're not going to the ground. Most likely, right? If, if Pereira doesn't try that, that awkward cross-step trip where his, his hips are so fucking high that I... I get worse at wrestling just by talking about it. Like his <laughs> hips were so high, there was no way he was going to. It was just bad. Um, judo, Gene LaBelle is probably <laughs> turning over in his grave, and everyone that's ever wrestled just is scratching their head. <laughs> Nothing about it really made sense. Yeah, everything was high level except the grappling. <laughs> and that's the thing. Like the, I, I really thought like the the striking for MMA, not just the kickboxing, but the striking for MMA, the little things that they learned, like inside peeling elbows, throwing elbows, little duck and returns in uh, the final sequence from Pereira in knees to the body off the over under 
short stuff inside. I thought it was beautiful. I thought it was a masterclass. There was a lot you could learn from it. Also, the, the, the striking success that led to counters, that led to counters to the counters. It was great. It was a continuation of adaptation throughout the fight. And I love seeing that kind of shit. Like, I love being able to watch fights two and three times because so much is happening that like, your brain isn't computing at all. It isn't really, it really isn't absorbing at all. So I've watched that this fight multiple times. Um, I think the first round would is would, in my opinion, not easily, but definitively go to Pereira if he doesn't get tagged at the very end. And kudos to Izzy to continue to fight. He has no, from a guy that, that has launched him three times, he has no fear of the man like until his brain just starts to, to get its wires crossed and then his body just sort of quits on him. But he's not, he's never like looked fearful or panicked, just maybe overly analyzing um, the danger is the only thing I've ever seen from him. So like kudos to Izzy for having the wherewithal to step back in with a two, three and put it right in his fucking chin, which is right in the danger zone. Now each fighter had a round. They clearly won Adesanya having the most dominant one, but I feel like rounds one and four were competitive and close to your point with Adesanya getting the edge. But the reason why I don't think this was like Kamaru Usman versus Leon Edwards, other than what you said about composure, and why I wasn't shocked by the end is why I picked Pereira to win to begin with. Because when they got close and Pereira got Adesanya against the cage, I felt like Pereira had the edge. And throughout the fight, Adesanya didn't have a way of avoiding getting pressured onto the cage. So it's like having a loaded gun pointed at you. You dodged it once, you dodged it twice, three times. But the more times you let it shoot at you, the less likely you'll be able to dodge it. And by the end, it seemed like it was one too many times for Adesanya being against the fence with Pereira in his face. It seemed like Pereira's path to victory was working. It just hadn't hit yet until it did. Did you have that feeling watching the fight where it's like, okay, you're playing Russian roulette too many times, getting backed up against the fence. Eventually, this is going to hit. Uh, not necessarily. So I, I thought Izzy was, was doing enough and being able to absorb some of the punishment. And, you know, he's, he's a very, very smart fighter with high fight IQ. I thought he'd be able to pull it off in the fifth round by being conservative, but at the same time looking active, right? Um, but some of the criticism could also get to him. And also he's fighting a guy who, who brings a lot of forward pressure that causes him to need to respond. So I, I think it, this becomes a matter of what, Pereira did very well. He took all of round four off with the exception of the last minute and 13 seconds. And he was still able to hurt Izzy with that final 3-2 in yeah. the last 10 seconds, right? He lit, he lit him up. And Izzy can make the, the poker face because he's tough with balls. He's just super tough. You know, but I got the feeling that Pereira was always confident in his, in his power. But still, I thought Izzy was going to pull it off until I saw how strong and seemingly recovered Pereira was in that final round. He was, it was thumping and his right low kick was quick, like from the moment the bell rang. And I take stock in the last round or later in a fight, I take stock in the little things like quickness, reaction time, and stance maintenance. Cause that tells me that if, if your conditioning is there or if you recovered or if you know that, Hey, this is the last round and I don't have to hold back anything. And honestly, I thought Pereira good and he showed me that he looked good in that first 45 seconds of that round in all of those aspects 
And that's when a pretty fun fight for me got really interesting. And that's when I said, huh, what you just said, maybe I think it's probably going to probably going to find its own. I think there's only so many chambers in that gun. <laughs> Russian roulette gets a little, little bit scary after the third, mistri- uh, third trigger pull. So, Now, were you surprised Pereira had power until the final round? Or do you think he actually doesn't rely on power for his kill shots because he doesn't wind up? So it's there until the very end. I, I think like, even, even his jabs are hard, right? And I think he, know, I think he knows that. Um, so it's just... But I referenced like uh, Leon Edwards staying composed and actually looking a little slow in the fifth round, looking to set stuff up. You can start to do that if you have some patience. I think, you know, there's also the sense that this is the final round and I don't have to hold anything back. Next, let's talk about Wiley Zhang becoming a two-time strawweight champion, beating Carla Esparza. It reminded me a lot of her last fight against Joanna Janjacek, where it was one and a half rounds of total domination, then a finish. Like, she made champions and former champions look like they didn't belong in there with her. Jason, how does Zhang do it, and how does she basically shut Esparza down? Well, I'm going to come right out and say it. I'm not sure Esparza is a better wrestler than Zhang. Mm. She, definitely, she definitely isn't a better striker, and certainly not a better athlete. I think that she's just basically superior in every aspect of fighting reflexes, vision, timing. Um, and, but in, in this fight, Zhang's footwork was really, really special and her wrestling was outstanding. She was light on her feet coming forward and light on her feet giving ground. You know, she showed a ton of fight IQ um, and a lot of growth as a fighter. You know, feints, um, rhythm and tempo changes, excellent hand position. And she did a very nice job cutting off the cage and sliding, you know, keeping uh, Carla Sparza from that from sneaking any gimme takedowns in from over aggression, you know she stayed loose at distance, and you know almost seemed like she was shadow boxing with feints just right in front of Carla until it was time to go. You know, and, and Zhang wasn't falling for that slow hand, slow pace, very patient style that Esparza tends to bring, where she either lulls you to sleep and then goes, or compels you to rush in. Zhang just sort of measured and feinted her in a kick range and took that inside cut kick when it was available and. You know, the, you know, the rest was just um, technical excellence and physical superiority. If you love the Southpaw Project, become one of our financial supporters. It'll help us supplement the cost of running this project, the incredible time and energy we put into it seven days a week, and you'll be giving us some breathing room, not only to juggle Southpaw with our day jobs, but also to expand Southpaw into other areas. We can't exist without your contributions. Show your Southpaw solidarity by supporting us at southpawpod.com. Did it surprise you that Zhang didn't seem scared of getting into grappling exchanges with Esparza? I was a little surprised, I'll be honest, but until it became obvious to me that Zhang was the better wrestler and grappler. I mean, I, I mean, I, we can we, we can get Zach uh, Rosen, Gold Rosen on this and... I think if you put them both in headgear and give them three twos in like the high school wrestling match, I think I think Zhang wins. I think she's too fast. I think she's she's too uh, she's improved her wrestling a lot. It shows her camp and her work with Cejudo, um, and I think she has um, the the physical tools and the mental fortitude to be if she chose to, to transition to wrestling. I think she should be she could be great at it right now. 
To put things into perspective, Esparza landed six significant strikes the whole fight. That includes on the ground. Zhang landed 37 significant strikes. But do the numbers tell us everything? Did Esparza do anything well in this fight? I mean, the numbers tell us that I think six significant strikes is four more than she landed against Rose, right? <laughs> I think, no, I kid, I kid. I'm um, saying that was a pretty low volume fight. Um, but actually, there really, there's really not a whole lot of praise for Carla Esparza, other than she is, she is tough and she's a dedicated mixed martial artist. And she did us all a favor by beating Rose and, you know, like, I don't know, decreasing ambient and melatonin sales worldwide after that fight. But like, <laughs> Right, it's so fucking boring. But Whaley Zhang eats up that low volume, decent wrestling, no setup, no setup style of Carla every day, all day. Um, and I, I'm I'm a Whaley Zhang fan. I think she does the the little things to improve that we talk about. Like if you want to be great, if you want to be world champion, you have to do world champion shit. And I think she is doing that and seeing someone in their 30s improve their wrestling like she has, improve their patience and their punch strike selection and the ability to, to punch you and to take only what's available. And all that was really available was that inside cut kick until it opened up a little bit more because it, it forced Asparza to come forward a little bit. And yes, you know, uh, Wally Zhang wants to take the lead, but at the same time, she had no problem giving ground so as not to give away any cheapy, easy, um, takedowns so i mean i think it was more a testament to everything that that wiley did well and carla this is a bad stylistic matchup for her. since her loss to chud rose what improvements do you see if any in zhang or do you think this is the same old zhang and this is how she looks against everyone else i think her camp uh has done a, a magnificent job with taking a, a strong, smart fighter and making her more polished, greater greater cage awareness from both a striking and a grappling perspective. And that kind of continuation of improvement, that sort of, that, that comprehensive fight understanding where the wrestling can make your striking better and the striking can make your wrestling better and that there's little things, nuances in between. Um, she looked fantastic. She really did. And I thought that maybe Carla would do a, a decent job of making this boring, but Zhang had an answer for that. Immediately, her camp seemed to have an answer for it. When she sort of, how do I say this? Um, she sort, sort of did that shadow boxing at distance where she wasn't really throwing anything. You're talking about Esparza? Zhang. Like she would just like, sort of like paw out some stuff. Because it was, it was she wasn't going to like crash that distance and just let um, let Carla sneak in a cheap takedown. So she was throwing those frames until it was time to go. And you know, and Zhang wasn't falling for anything. So if Carla was going to be overly patient and make it like a snooze fest, she was just going to sit at distance. And you want to keep those hands movement, the the, the hand movement, that sort of like the body in motion. Like that old school Bruce Lee stuff. So you keep your hands floating so that you haven't you don't have to start movement from a dead stop. A continuation of movement allows you to continue to flow. And that's sort of what she was doing. So little things I saw, 
um, and her ability to cut the cage off and not rush forward and follow or overly pursue that I really liked. You know, and those are little things that she didn't always do. She always did. She she's a great fighter for sure, um, and she did great things quite often. But she, I don't want to say she she fought mistake free because no one does. But she sort of had an understanding and an answer for everything, even when things didn't necessarily go her way. When she got beat to her hips, she immediately had a nice little whizzer, put some pressure on the head used that wizard, scooted her hips, and got right back out. I mean, that's very, very good wrestling awareness against a solid wrestler. That's why I say if you think, um, pay attention to her performances against Joanna, she improved there as well. She's doing the little things right. Whereas, I mean, we can talk about, I shit on like the the overly athletic folks like Michael Chandler who just com- continue to spam power shots until it, it doesn't work. And then it's like, oh, well, I come here to entertain. Do you really? Because I think you come here to win too. But when that's not working out for you, you mentally jerk yourself off and tell everybody it's okay because you're entertaining. She, she wants to win. And with the way she and her camp approach fighting, is by getting better at fighting in those wins at the world-class level when you're two in the world, now number one ranked uh, uh, behind the, the, or now she's a champion, right? She's now champion of the world. You have to do championship shit, and she does. And that's what I love to see. Now, that's why I'm such a huge fan. You add the physical intangible, she's got that those in spades, but it's fun to see someone not just rely on them, but continue to cultivate that talent. I can't remember any other crucifix choke in UFC history. Zhang said she could beat Esparza from anywhere, and it really seemed like she could hurt Esparza from anywhere. Like it seemed like she could hurt Esparza with punches, even from bottom. She seemed that deadly in this fight. Zhang's confidence seemed sky high. So Zach gave us another scouting report, this time on Zhang and Esparza's wrestling. He said, Zhang showed a variety of wrestling for MMA by throwing punches to the head, then mixing in level changes. So it's more of an MMA-specific high-low attack. You can't really do level changes in kickboxing, right? When you do it anywhere else, high-low means something different. Whereas Zhang was mixing in the takedown feints and level changes to make Esparza think low. But also using teeps to control distance. So high-low, but also close-far. To your point, shadow boxing from distance, almost inviting Esparza to crash the distance, and then sometimes pushing her away. And also keeping the fight away from the cage so she could wrestle in open space. And I didn't really think about that until Coach Zach brought it up, but the whole fight was contested in open space, and that seemed like that was the ideal place for Zhang to fight. Now, when Esparza got in on a takedown, Zhang was already scrambling and getting wrist control. Zach pointed out that since Esparza couldn't get positional control, she had to go to a scarf hold, which Zhang easily escaped. He did think, though, that Zhang playing guard still showed some vulnerabilities that other people might be able to capitalize on because she's not a submission or sweep threat from the guard. But Zach also said Zhang's limp leg to stuffing the head and also her wizard game was spot on. There's some risk to playing crucifix, but it paid off. But against someone else, who knows? 
But Zhang, that's why she's exciting. She's a risk taker. But she's also now a very hard fighter to take down. So thanks, Zach, for these reports. Now let's talk about Dustin Poirier versus Michael Chandler, where we saw Poirier finish Chandler with a rear naked choke in the third round. But now I can see why you said Chandler is one of the most explosive, powerful athletes at lightweight. Like when he drives into a takedown, there really is no stopping it, especially when he gets in deep. One thing Poirier said is if Chandler knew how to throw straight punches, he would have finished them. And I think that's very good analysis from Poirier. But straight punches is part of the basics of striking. So how much of Chandler's performance is athleticism versus just solid technique, pacing, and strategy? Oh, well, let's, let's first say that uh, Poirier may have been a little bit too harsh of a critic on himself because as explosive as Chandler is, and he really truly is, um, Poirier's defense and vision and counters looked superb. Like every, every, even the kicks that, uh, that Chandler was throwing like three in a row. I think you know the vision, the counters all looked really great. And so I, I think he would probably... Poye, that is, would eat up Chandler unless, like, Maga Michael learns some something new, you know, learns to set, unless he learns to set something up. You know, you can't go that big all the time. Some feints and decoy shots, if you have that kind of power and explosiveness, is important. If not, people are just going to give some ground. But let, again, to Poye's credit, he was, I think he was being a little bit hard on himself because when you try to throw straight punches that aren't set up well against Poye, he will counter your straight right hand with his straight left right down the fucking middle every day, all day. So, but to your question, you know, I think at this point, Chandler wants to be more of an entertainer than a winner, you know, and, but to his credit, he's quite entertaining. Like every fight is very, very entertaining, you know, and he can give as many inspirational fucking speeches as he wants, but I find him about as authentic as a fucking $30 Rolex. I saw him look at the clock uh, when facing a little adversity and yeah, I'm sure he was having some difficulty breathing. But I knew it wasn't. He wasn't uh, long for that fight. Um, I don't know by the look on his face and the, the expression that hey, this fight has been fun, and that's that's why I'm here. So, like again, he can come with all the the self-aggrandizing, inspirational bullshit. But I don't know. I think he's fucking transparent. Sorry to shit on him so much. I just I like the way he commits. To power shots, right? I like the way he commits to to aggression, and he has the physical tools to do some great things. But to think that that is the only way you can fight when you're fighting uh, Dustin Poirier is fucking crazy, you know. And I wonder, like, I think I think um, Henry Hoof is a great coach, but how good of a coach would he be if he doesn't get all these top tier athletes, you know? And to like not to shit on Poirier, but he doesn't look super athletic to me. But I think he does the little things right. I think he's outstanding defensively. He sees things. Um, he is focused. I've never seen someone stare down the the face of a fighter he's punching and land like a straight left hand and a tight right hook while he's punched that his opponent's head out of position. He is very very focused and he's very very accurate because he has that composure there. That sort of self-belief is born of disciplined training and ownership and command of technique. Now, I think that's what you have on the Poirier side, and I think you have explosive athleticism on the Chandler side. 
And when that explosive athleticism gets a little tired, he tends to fucking fall apart. Do you think also Chandler has a pacing problem? Definitely. He definitely does. Because that is probably the most expedient path to victory for him. You know, and then he, I think he colors it as entertainment and aggression and motivation. But really, it's, I think there's some, some lack of, of, of mental fortitude there. I think he wants to go hard and fast and just color it as entertainment because I don't think he's I don't think he's built for five grueling anymore. I think he's been there and I don't think he likes it. So I think well, I think that's my opinion on him anyway. And maybe it's a little bit biased, but I stand by it. Like I said, <laughs> what I say, I think he's about as suspect as uh shit. Ray's his hairline or <laughs> I don't know. Maybe the poor guy's chin at this point. I don't know. What did you think about the cheating by Chandler from fish hooks to punches to the back of the head? Again, like, I, I think he's got the gift of gab and he's got some charisma, but I think he's a disingenuous motherfucker. I think he wants to win and however he wants to, to win. And if he can do it, like, what is the most expedient path to victory? And if that means he's got to, you know, fudge the rules a little bit, he, I don't think he has a problem with that. Probably say it was because God was on his side or whatever, the fuck, <laughs> whatever fuckery he wants to espouse from that, whatever. Like, um, I don't like it, especially if you try to paint yourself as this this beacon of of integrity. Um, you know, I think he reeks of roids in his own bullshit. <laughs> yeah, there's definitely fishy stuff going on with his body. But also fish hooks. Legitimate fish hooks. You can't even defend that by saying, you know, I was trying to do something else. Like, you know when your fingers are in somebody's mouth, right? Absolutely. And if you do that, you know, I mean, if if you lose a finger because you did it, man, I don't have a problem with it. <laughs> <laughs> he needs to be fined, in my opinion. And there are a lot of bad refs in the UFC, but in my opinion, from watching him for so long, Dan Mergliata is really one of the worst. He watches fights like a fan watches fights, you know? <laughs> <laughs> like he's talking to his buddies when he sees cool shit and he's failing to be a referee at that moment. He's failing a lot to the health detriment to a lot of fighters. Well, that's why like the, the promotion shouldn't be... I mean, how do I say this? Because I think most promotions... I mean, most athletic commissions are a pain in the ass also but like the the promotion shouldn't be all powerful if a referee thinks they are acting in the best interest and safety of an athlete and they make a mistake they shouldn't be absolutely crucified by the promotion and then then the promotion demand there's a lack of an exciting fight um, or finish that seems somewhat controversial that this referee's got to go at the same time there is such a lack of consistency in refereeing and judging that I, you know, it, 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 makes, it, it makes the sport difficult to watch and sometimes the, the ref's difficult to defend. So, like, fuck, I don't, I don't know. All I know is like there, the lack of consistency, you can talk about the lack of consistency in uh, you know, Izzy's fight against, uh, against Gastelum and then Izzy's, Izzy's stoppage loss to Pereira. Like, it's not consistent, but at least it's going in the right direction rather than letting him get his brains lunchboxed and altering, uh, altering the trajectory of his career forever. You know, which what happened to Gaslam after, after uh, Goddard let him take that beating. He lost four of his next five. 
He lost four of his next five and he never looked the same. There was like three or four moments, I think, right, where we thought the fight was going to be stopped and it wasn't. Yes. So all I'm saying is I would like to see some, some consistency. God or let him take our significant beating for sure. And I doubt that was on Izzy's mind at the time, but I think that he has a reasonable complaint, even if it wouldn't have changed anything. Uh, but I, I will say, I think comparatively, this fight was a better stoppage than the beating Goddard let Kelvin take. So at least that's moving in the right direction. Still, it lacks consistency. And when the rules are fluid like that, I mean, shit, it just, it's, it, it, most controversy is born of that kind of lack of consistency. Now tell me about Poirier. How was he dealing with Chandler's power and pressure? Because, man, like this fight really showcased how powerful Chandler is. Vision, composure, um, ring craft, it just, and, and a veteran that doesn't seem to have slowed all that much. And I think I've said several times how much I like Poirier, but how I never found him like, overly magnificent in terms of his athleticism which which i think made him really really work on on his skills and it is the little things it is i mean he's able to like his jujitsu he's a black belt in jujitsu so um he can and he's got a great guillotine so he can play with that high guard shell style stuff where he's high blocking stuff and his hands are high um and he can stay visually focused on a power puncher's hands and he can deal with them well he did it against connor twice and he didn't seem to have much of a problem with it even though chandler had a ton of success um and i don't want to say a ton but he, he certainly had plenty of moments where he where he landed some shots though he threw like seven thousand at 100 percent power and i think he doesn't throw any straight punches to poirier's point because Chandler is so short for the division and so wide and so powerful. And he also stands very low. He's punching up while he's switching stances going forward. So he's throwing these wide hooks, right? As he's shifting stances going forward. So I think he knows how to throw a straight punch, but because of his style, his style is built on punching while shifting and you can't throw straight punches while you're shifting like Chandler does. It's, it's hard to. Dillashaw does it fairly well, but still they sort of loop. Um, but you, you, can, you can walk in and you can throw some straight shots from there. But Chandler is slipping as he's doing it. I think that's part of why it's harder to throw those straight shots. Yes. And I also think that he, he feels that if he puts like that, that much stink on each and every punch, that even whenever he gets countered, he still... Like he's still flailing some offense. And when you hit like, when you hit like he does, you know, I mean, it's, it's a calculated risk, but I think there are fights that he's lost that he would have won if he would have been more fighter and less athlete. I mean, that sounds crazy because he's like, I bring it and I throw. That's why I'm a fighter. Ah, you know, there's, there's more to fighting than just that. There's ring craft, there's strategy and there's setups. And a lot of times, he has fucking none of those. And when he does <laughs> use it, he, right? And sometimes when he does add those in, and I used to be a big fan when he was fighting for Bellator. Um, and even sometimes like his, he, he used to have throwaway shots where he would throw like a wide left hook and then walk in to a stance shift and then throw another left hook and then find that bomb of a right hand. His throwaway shots or decoy shots 
allowed him to make up that distance. And when people would try to give ground too much, he would find those shots. Wait, didn't he used to have like technique and be technical when he was fighting Eddie Alvarez back in the day? Yes. Now it seems like because he, because he believes so much in his power and this want to be entertaining that he almost feels like every single power punch he throws is going to land. And he gets the shit countered out of him a lot. And again, that might, there's a big difference between top 10 and top three in the world. And he's consistently fighting the top three, top four guys. No longer is he fighting like a, a Dan Hooker who came off two battles against like, Felder and Poirier. You know, he's not getting a 700 year old Tony Ferguson. You find some of these guys that are still young and are, are young enough, but still have some, some ring craft because they're veterans. Then, you know, you need to do some better shit. And the difference is he has moments in his fights, but the second his athleticism starts to fade because of fatigue, he no longer has those fucking moments. I mean, to your point about fatigue, right? People were like, oh, Pereira is really fatigued, right? He's tired. And I'm sure he was tired, but the way he looked fatigued is very different from the way Chandler looked fatigued because I think you said it earlier, right? Even though Pereira was tired, he wasn't so tired that he lost this stance discipline and he also didn't overthrow his punches, right? Where when you're throwing tired, you tend to overswing and lose balance. He wasn't that tired, right? He was tired, but not that tired. Whereas Chandler, that's tired. When he didn't have that much discipline to begin with as far as stance and how he throws his punches. And then it really went out the window in the third round. Yeah. You know, trying to do things that require some sort of accuracy at 100% isn't easy ever, but he makes it look easy because he is a really, really, really good athlete. He's, he's athletically, he's elite. He really is. Power, explosion, balance, uh, strength, speed, all those things, really to, to, to accelerate, decelerate, change direction, proprioceptive awareness. He's fantastic in those regards. But to be able to do those kinds of techniques with accuracy when you're fatigued is a different thing. And he no longer has that. And he's easy to exploit once that happens. So, I mean, I don't know if he wants to be like a five foot five Vitor Belfort, but if you weather that storm, it seems like he, he becomes. I don't want to say easy to beat, but much more vulnerable, certainly. And he's not fighting any bad guys. He's fighting the, the best, the best in the most talent-rich division in all of mixed martial arts. Now, do you think Poirier messing with his shorts constantly throughout the fight and throughout all of his fights is detrimental to his fighting? Fuck yes, man. And I think, I think Chandler saw it. Like Chandler, like, yep. threw some nice back, right? You saw it too. As soon as he touched his shorts, you know, but to, but to Poye's credit, holy fuck, did he respond back with two counter punches and the fight got better. Almost like that's a prelude to, to a great exchange is Poye opening up some vulnerability by touching his shorts. But fuck, he does that a lot. And I know we talked about it before, but he does it against a fast, explosive, um, puncher who's not afraid to get right back in your face but uh, again and i'll say i, I know i must have said to poye's credit a hundred times i'll say it again when when he allows um or creates an opening and chandler comes heavy with that shit and then takes his foot off the gas to sort of reset regroup refocus every time 
Poirier was right back in his face, right back in his shit, not giving him a chance to breathe. That sort of forced exertion and inability to reset, refocus, and regroup. And that's what Poirier does so incredibly well against fighters that try to just like come with massive attack. Bang, 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 bang. He's like, all right, you done? My turn, asshole. Bang, bang. While you're trying to be like, hold on, man. Normally we take like 10 seconds and both breathe heavy. No, and he's right back in your shit. And he's not giving you a chance to think, breathe, or, or refocus. Now, at this point, I'm sure Poirier's coaches have talked to him about that a lot. There's whole highlight videos on YouTube making fun of it. And I was also thinking about how if he really wanted to stop that and it's an uncontrollable tick, he could stop wearing shorts and he could just wear those tight UFC compression shorts, right? Use the, wear the compression shorts. So here's my question then. Do you think at this point he just turned his tick into almost a bait where he's like using that to draw opponents in? I wish it was that deep, but I think it's just subconscious. <laughs> I think it's just subconscious and it's a tick. And I've seen I've seen it before. I had a fighter who couldn't stop adjusting his cup and rolling out his shoulders. Even though you brought it up. Yep. And I'm like, you you have to quit doing that. It's to the point where I'm getting text messages where the commentators are commenting on it and saying, he needs to quit rolling out his shoulders and grabbing his cup. He does it every time he's about to throw. And so I told him, I'm like, you need to quit that. <laughs> you need to have to. At the very least, we need to string together punch and kick sequences that are going to allow you to da, 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 da. Sometimes it just becomes like part of, I don't know, part of the, the, the physical response of a, of a fighter. It's a tick and you can't quite shake it. Um, or, or maybe I'm just fucking wrong and Poirier didn't know something that I don't. And <laughs> I don't know. Some public speakers have the the ums and uhs and you know what I mean? And they don't even realize that they're doing it, but yet they can still come across as articulate. I wonder if, you know, it's one of those things where it's subconscious and he still comes across as one of the best fucking fighters in the toughest division in the in the whole goddamn sport. I guess we'll never know until he retires and lets us know. It's us about I'd love I'd love to ask him. I'd love to know. Well, all right. That's it for this fight study. If you like this episode and you like what we do, support us on Patreon. We also have the Liberation Martial Arts Program if you want to train with us from wherever you are. There's lots of techniques, exercises, theory, pedagogy, and even political theory, believe it or not. You can find Liberation Martial Arts online also on Patreon. You can find Southpaw merch at our store. You can find all pertinent links on the show notes. With that said, thanks for listening. Always a pleasure, folks.